Welcome back to the Voices of Government IT, sponsored by Unisys. This month, we're discussing implementing identity intelligence to provide enhanced user experience while ensuring mission security. Here's your moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Lakshmi Ashok, CTO, Chief Technology Officer for Homeland and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys Federal. Lakshmi, good to have you on. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Our topic today is biometrics, biometric security. And why don't we start with the broad view of what are the different technologies that are really in play now with respect to biometrics and also, and more important, what are the use cases for federal agencies? Right. So I'll start off by saying we're in, in an era of digital transformation, right? And in order to enhance this, in order to enable people transform digitally, we, from an SI perspective, need to provide uh, secure digital services. SI, you mean systems, systems integration. integration. Thank mm-hmm. you, systems integrator. Um, but not just that, we also have to ensure that people who access those services are trusted identities. And in order to do this, we um, one thing that is more accurate than just biographical information and login access is biometrics. So that in itself establishes the need for biometrics. So I'll walk you through a couple of a few use cases in the federal government that I'm very familiar with right mm-hmm. now and where we're seeing the use for biometrics. So the first thing is uh, it's all around security. Think about our zero trust model. So um, we are enabling security by using identity and data centricity based on micro-segmentation, for example, based on automation. And the idea here is really to provide the right kind of access to the right people. So use IDs to provide privileged access, for example. It's role-based access. And this is some of where biometrics starts kicking in. The other part of security is all around continuous authentication. How many times have you logged in, for example? and had to leave the room for five minutes. In that five minutes, anyone could have come in and done anything uh, with your system, good or bad. And so that's where continuous authentication, continuous compliance is becoming more and more necessary today. Um, The third area of security could be physical physical security. So take um, our airports, for example, take our courts, take a Super Bowl event. in order to secure all this, we've started using um, biometrics. I was reading in the newspaper an article the other day regarding uh, Tokyo Olympics uh, 2020. They're intending to use facial recognition to secure the perimeter there. So these are some of the areas uh, of biometrics. The second category is all around customer experience. So in this digital transformative world, Um, customer experience becomes paramount. So be it ticketless, paperless travel, or be it, um, you know, seamless financial transactions. Again, there's some uh, news about Japan wanting to provide a seamless experience for their tourists by using fingerprints. So this is how we enhance customer experience. Um, The third area is... And by the way, you buy security at the same time that you're enhancing customer experience. So the accuracy is that much higher. You know that it is Tom, for example, who is logging onto a system to withdraw that money because we have Tom's fingerprints that we can compare. Sure. Let me just ask you a quick detail question. Sure. How are we doing with respect to contactless fingerprints? Because... 
some people don't like touching those things that the last 10,000 people touch before them. Absolutely. So that is still a nascent technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, given that we're in a mobile society now, um, contactless fingerprints are catching on. Uh, in fact, our phones, they've got some really good cameras on them that can pick up ridges on our fingerprints as well as the minutia. Uh, and then translate them into uh, templates, fingerprint templates that can be compared against the galleries. So that is still in uh, uh, evaluation stages, let us say. And we at Unisys, we're working with uh, companies, technologies like Viridium to um, develop uh, proof of concepts around that. Sure. And with the case of biometrics, is that... uh the biometric itself, is that the second factor in two-factor authentication in general? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we've started looking at um, uh, identity proofing, and this is indeed a regulated standard by uh, NIST today. Um, you would have heard of uh, NIST 863 Rev3. Where one of my favorites. One of your favorites. There you go. <laughs> where they are looking at identity proofing and using biometrics as uh, another... Sure. Um, area of authentication. Yeah. Okay, and I wanted to discuss with you an idea that you've put forth in other places, and that is the concept of identity intelligence. Mm-hmm. What is that? So the concept of identity intelligence really is um, knowing everything about an identity from a biometrics pers- uh, perspective, from a biographic perspective, to um, make informed decisions about what that identity does. And there's a reason for this. Uh, If there's a change in a pattern of behavior of that identity, then it's easier to detect anomalies and prevent um, a bad thing from happening. And does identity intelligence extend to the role that the person might be expected to play so that someone with a certain set of biometrics and a certain activity could be reasonably expected to be doing that at that time and place? Yes, definitely. And that's part of that whole pattern tracking and running it through trained engines to detect changes so that that those changes could be something that's expected or or not expected. And if it's not expected, something like an insider threat, right? If I was doing, um, if I was going into office and downloading files all of a sudden over the weekend, then maybe there's reason for concern there. So this is why identity intelligence is important, not just knowing about the person, but uh, the tasks associated with that role of that identity. And I imagine it's probably hard to spoof someone else using biometrics if you say you're missing your right hand and uh, you then input a ID, a thumbprint with a right hand, then the system would know that's not who the person says they are. That's right. So there's, uh, you've heard of continuous um, authentication, right? So there are different biometrics uh, capabilities. This is another trend that are based on behavior patterns. So whether it be how we type on a keyboard, how we operate with the mouse, uh, if it comes to mobile, how we hold our mobile phones. And if there's a change in the behavioral pattern, even though someone's accessed it and it's in the system, um, biometrics can be used. The behavior side of biometrics can be used to detect that change in pattern and then do whatever, take whatever actions necessary. You can use multiple modalities, so it's not just uh, fingerprints or uh, keystrokes. It can even be the way you talk. It can be your gait. So it's a whole number of modalities that you can use that uh, against. 
any other technology trends here we need to know about? Funny you should ask. So uh, rapid DNA is uh, prevalent in the news today. Uh, DNA is the most accurate biometric um, modality. And um, nobody can escape their genes. Exactly. <laughs> and um, it would take forever. So processing DNA just brings to mind a whole lab with people wearing coats and taking months, days to months to figure this out, right? But now with the advent of technology in there, if uh, rapid DNA, well, um, imagine a portable desktop, uh, desktop copier that you can take to the scene, right? And imagine getting results back in minutes or less than an hour, or slightly more than an hour. So how efficient is that? Um, and it is being used today. Uh, when you heard about the California wildfires, yes, indeed. We, we, there were uses of rapid DNA. So it's not just the obvious law enforcement use cases, but you can use it for disasters. You can use it for um, establishment of kinship. Um, we, we at Unisys, we are working with the University of Virginia and what we're trying to do is develop uh, again a more um, a more um, a prototype that can be um, productized, if you will, um, so that it's more efficient and it's uh, more cost effective. So that's what we're doing with rapid DNA. My guest today is Lakshmi Ashok, Chief Technology Officer for Homeland and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys Federal. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is Voices of Government IT, implementing identity intelligence to provide enhanced user experience while ensuring mission security. Sponsored by Unisys, Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Unisys Federal helps U.S. federal government agencies securely deploy disruptive technologies, leveraging innovative solutions to establish hybrid environments that are more agile, secure, and responsive. Unisys offers security software and services, digital transformation and workplace services, and industry applications and services. For more information on how Unisys Federal builds better outcomes securely for its clients, visit unisys.com federal or stop by the Unisys booth at the upcoming Microsoft Ignite Tour conference. Welcome back to Voices of Government IT, implementing identity intelligence to provide enhanced user experience while ensuring mission security, sponsored by Unisys, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Lakshmi Ashok, Chief Technology Officer for Homeland Security and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys Federal. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, Lakshmi, you had some other technological trends you wanted to make sure we knew about. So why don't we talk about those? Yes. So this is more of a capability that we're developing within Unisys uh, using all the technologies that I was talking about. So this is called ID proofing. And I started to touch on it um, when I mentioned the NIST standard, 863 uh, Rev3. Um, so part of establishing a trusted intelligence ecosystem is really first validating the legitimacy of identities, right? And what we do using ID proofing is to validate that a person is, or an identity is who they say they are based on a number of things. So we go back to uh, the documents they have, valid, uh, validation documents they have, for example, a driver's license or a passport. Uh, go back to the issuing authority to make sure that that document is legit. And then uh, compare the biometrics of that person either face or uh, fingerprints 
to make sure again that that is that that is the trusted individual before we even enroll them into that trusted identity ecosystem. And in that whole cycle, does that mean that at some point mm-hmm. the person has to present in person as the original qualifying proofing uh, situation? So that's a fantastic question. No. So wow. <laughs> remember, we're in a mobile era. Great question, but so, you surprised me with the answer. <laughs> so we're in a mobile era and um, talking about contactless fingerprints where we can take pictures of the fingerprints or we can take pictures of the face and then templatize it, send it to our gallery, do a match. Um, in fact, we can do liveliness uh, fingerprints and liveliness um, facial rather and take it back to make sure that it is Tom, for example, that's taking this picture and Tom's alive and smiling perhaps when that picture was taken and ensure that it um, ensure that it can be done remotely. So, yeah, so that's for federal situations. I can think of a thousand cases where that could really not only preserve or maybe enhance security, but also solve a lot of digital service and digital services customer experience issues. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the uh, examples I often use is in a disaster-like situation, we have um, search support for FEMA, right? And think about how many people can get enrolled remotely before they go support that uh, area of disaster. Um, On the other hand, there's people seeking benefits, and they don't need to go and show up at a kiosk and register themselves. Instead, they can remotely register themselves for these benefits. So there could be any N number of scenarios, even in the health area, where this remote ID proofing or ID proofing is very valuable. Uh, One of the things I wanted to mention is uh, tying it back to the identity assurance level too, which is that NIST standards. So UNICEF is at the forefront of getting certified to the standard using some of the vendor technologies like ID scan and uh, some facial recognition um, technologies out there. And with agencies using more and more cloud computing, do you need a certain level there to preserve what you have built here on the ground before that data gets to the cloud? Uh, it has to be, insu- you have to ensure the cloud is, is certified at the right level. Exactly. So part of this uh, IAL2 uh, is the requirement for FedRAMP. FedRAMP Madrid, I think. And so uh, most of the cloud providers today are at a FedRAMP Madrid. All right. This all sounds wonderful, but there must be challenges or everybody would be doing it. What are some of the roadblocks, challenges that federal agencies might face when trying to implement these technologies? Yeah, we're looking at a few challenges down the road. Um, one, is, one that strikes uh, my mind immediately is the Data Privacy Act. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a Data Privacy Act passed in 1974, Uh, where uh, everything around collection, um, dissemination, and maintenance of a person's PII data, personal personal identifiable information, Mm -hmm. uh, is supposed to be protected and actually implemented in a certain manner so as not to disclose their privacy. Uh, Now, biometrics fall squarely into... Uh, the uh, PII data. You bet. Yeah. And so everything we do around biometrics, we've got to be very careful. Uh, so what I didn't talk about is we are in Australia uh, for the Australian Home Affairs. We're helping them out with um, paperless travel today. And that's being rolled into production uh, shortly as we speak even. Uh, one of the very first things we needed to do as we architected the system was to take a data privacy assessment. 
So these are things that we're doing uh, to overcome some challenges. And this also, when you mentioned travel, too, because that's a big issue in the United States, TSA and, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, Customs and Border Protection have mm-hmm. all these programs. And so you, what you have is somebody holding biometric and other personally identifiable information. Yes. It's also in private hands because there's this interaction between, say, airlines and passenger manifests and the federal agencies wanting to know who's coming in on that plane mm-hmm. and who's leaving. Mm-hmm. And so what are some of the issues around that? There have to be some regulations. In fact, I was reading the Microsoft president has been asking for regulations around um, facial recognition and more so into privacy issues. So clearly there's a lot of work to be done there. Um, and we are in the forefront of, in fact, what we're trying to do is um, templatize these biometrics and then store the private information related to the templates in a mission-critical um, encrypted area. Yeah, so. so you really have to have a very carefully thought-out IT architecture yes. and system to support that to really do this before you kind of jump in. Absolutely. And in your experience, how equipped do you think or knowledgeable are federal agencies in this area? And also, does that NIST publication, 863 Revision 3, cover some of that? Um, that covers mostly... Um, ID proofing. Got it. It's um, the, the Data Privacy Act. In fact, there's biometrics in, um, institute standards that more cover this kind of um, privacy issues. Sure, and agencies ready for this? Agencies are ready for it, but they do need to be helped by uh, system integrators to, one, interpret uh, what these acts are. I think they do know, they, but they need to be helped to interpret um, with the interpretation side and also the architecting and the implementation side. And there's also, I guess, a basic data storage issue, too, because you yes. start to get fairly large files with, with some of this biometric data. Yes. And so one of the things we're using uh, to combat that scaling issue is we are coming up with galleries of data which uh, stay there for a temporary period, especially take at airport entries and exits. So we maintain them for a period of time after the person's either entered or exited the country, after which the data is deleted. So that's how we um, take care of the scaling issue, the data scale. All right, on that, we'll take a short break. My guest today is Lakshmi Ashok. She is Chief Technology Officer for Homeland and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This is Voices of Government IT, implementing identity intelligence to provide enhanced user experience while ensuring mission security, sponsored by Unisys, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Unisys Federal helps U.S. federal government agencies securely deploy disruptive technologies, leveraging innovative solutions to establish hybrid environments that are more agile, secure, and responsive. Unisys offers security software and services, digital transformation and workplace services, and industry applications and services. For more information on how Unisys Federal builds better outcomes securely for its clients, visit unisys.com federal or stop by the Unisys booth at the upcoming Microsoft Ignite Tour conference. Welcome back to Voices of Government IT, implementing identity intelligence to provide enhanced user experience while ensuring mission security, sponsored by Unisys here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guest today is Lakshmi Ashok, Chief Technology Officer for Homeland and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before we go into what Unisys can do for federal agencies, a couple of issues I wanted you to talk about. Uh, what are some of the cultural issues in uh, with biometrics and all of this identity proofing? 
And how do those give challenges to federal agencies seeking to implement this? Yeah. So biometrics, any change is uh, met with resistance. And so introducing a new biometric technology, for example, is um, new. So it's it's the fear of the unknown. It's fear of... um, knowing whether we we need to uh, upskill to deal with that kind of technology. And it's also fear with on the privacy, data privacy issues. So from an end user perspective, uh, I'm okay if I'm uh, photographed, but the moment my fingerprints get taken, I'm wondering what happens? Who's going to use my fingerprints, right? So these are some of the cultural issues, both from an end user perspective and from an implementation perspective that we need to be aware of. And one way around that is by training individuals, explaining to them, being transparent about here's what all these biometrics are going to be used for. And here's the amount of security and privacy that we're surrounding the biometrics with. Um, Also providing the training. If I were a government official, I would need thorough training on these end user devices now and to figure out how they operate and uh, how to use them well. So we all have to go through that training. We have to go through organizational change management sure. you know, uh, to influence some of that culture. And there's some technical issues, too, with just basic interoperability, yes. because many of these combined systems use everything from the latest online type of digital services, but they also call on some of the legacy Later. COBOL systems and so forth. So does interoperability come into play here, too? on. So there's so many standards, even within biometrics themselves. There's the Biometrics Institute, there's the ISO, IEC. Then uh, couple that with your 509 standards, couple that with your 508 standards. And so um, how each vendor interprets or which standard they use plays a huge role on the way the templates are stored. And so um, one vendor may be using a different template technology than the next vendor. So as we're trying to use these and integrate these templates, it becomes quite different, uh, difficult for us and that much more difficult for the agencies. So what we're doing at Unisys is um, we have a stealth identity product that really has an abstract data layer Uh, And we normalize the data collected from each of these devices as well as the different algorithms there uh, to provide that commonality so that agencies can use that as they speak. And then what we have is we've got customized interfaces to the different vendor devices and the different algorithms. So that's how we're helping solve this. Uh, In the Australia case I was talking about, we had to bring together a whole bunch of different technologies and products, and we had to really architect this common data layer to uh, combat and conquer some of these interoperability interoperability difficulties. Yeah, so the integration function really comes into fore here as something that agencies need to access. Yes, absolutely. And uh, also remain technology-proof. So... um, A good capture device, a camera today, uh, a vendor technology may not be that good or that great two years down the road. So if I um, were dependent on that vendor template, I would need to change everything two years down the road. But if you use this common layer, the integration layer, then it's easier to just um, remodel the templates to accommodate the new technology. It's almost like you have a biometric bus, if you will, for going across your systems. Yep. Because I was thinking about that as agencies deploy, say, cameras in public Mm -hmm. places. 
Uh, you, the quality of the old cameras that were big giant things is not that great. And yet within the thumbnail size part of a, a cell phone today, a modern smartphone, you've got an incredibly powerful camera. Yes. And so somehow agencies need to make sure that they can inculcate these new technologies and new form factors without, without changing everything that they have in place, because then that itself would be a huge transformation. Sure. So they have to make themselves technology proof. And what are the special skills Unisys brings to all of this? So Unisys, is, we've been doing biometrics. We've been implementing, delivering biometrics uh, for over 25 years some of the areas we've done, the Australia case I've spoken about, even within U.S., we have several agencies that we've deployed multiple modalities of um, biometrics. Uh, we also, I'm just naming a few examples, we're working with the Angola government where we're processing, we're enrolling all their citizens and issuing them uh, registration cards. And this is a massive effort. We have uh, 650 biometric units. To date, we've processed about 7.5 million citizens, a uh, few more million to go. That's like doing Colorado or something. That is like doing Colorado. This is going to go up to, I want to say, about 30 million. But the things that we do well in delivering all this is a few things. We adhere to standards and we have products that in fact provide going back to your analogy of the biometrics bus so we have a fantastic biometrics bus um, we sit on committees data privacy committees mm -hmm. biometrics institutes so not only do we know what these privacy requirements are we tend to shape them as well and we're well aware of what's going on so that we use those policies within whatever uh, capabilities we develop. And the other thing that we do well is uh, I was talking to you earlier about our work with UVA and some newer technologies like BehaviorSec and PuriLock that do the con continuous authentication piece. So we invest R&D in coming up with proof of concepts around capabilities that we can take to market, that we can go to market with. And these capabilities really um, are all around efficiency and making it more, um, making it less expensive, let me put it that way, so that even a commoner can use these biometric capabilities. Um, so I talked about data privacy. I talked about interoperability. Culture. And a final question, what about, say, the analytical output such that systems can get better over time? Yes. So thank you. You prompted me well on that. So what we do, especially uh, in the area of facial recognition and uh, fingerprinting, we help fine-tune these algorithms. So there's quite a bit of training that we help with. And we, uh, we fine-tune the algorithms so that um, the next time an anomaly occurs, we can automatically pick up the face or recognize the face or the identity of the person. So um, these are some of the ways. We also have a wonderful OCM program, Organizational Change Management, going back to influencing and helping with the shift in culture. We've got a really good training program that we use uh, with our agencies whenever we deploy any technology, for that matter, to help with uh, adoption of the technology. Well, lots to ponder. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Lakshmi Ashok is Chief Technology Officer for Homeland and Critical Infrastructure at Unisys. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Unisys. 
Thank you for listening to the Voices of Government IT series, sponsored by Unisys on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com and search Unisys.